Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode features Austin Belsack, founder of Cultivated Culture, which aims to help people secure jobs without traditional prerequisites, such as having a ton of connections or by using an online application form. In this episode, Austin and I discuss the beginning to end of the job search process for any individual in any industry, covering CVs, research, interviewing, rejection, and more. Let's get into it. So hi, Austin. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Harry. I really appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, I've had quite a few people very kindly kind of message me and say, you know, congrats on all the stuff you've been doing on LinkedIn and the following I've managed to develop. But last time I checked, you're almost at 250,000 followers on LinkedIn, which is astronomical and absolutely incredible. I'm guessing that that didn't happen overnight. <laughs> Definitely not. It's It's been a long time coming, um, mm. but it's been a fun ride for sure to, to see it grow. And LinkedIn's a great place to be these days. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think what I really like about LinkedIn and also especially the way you've been using it is um, the kind of main ways that you can kind of drive growth and engagement on there is just generally sharing, you know, really valuable insights and kind of pieces of content, especially obviously about searching for and kind of securing roles um, in the kind of professional sphere. Um, and it's been fantastic to follow you and see what you've been doing recently with all the stuff through your network and obviously Cultivated Culture, which um, I'm sure we'll come into. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that this podcast today is going to be able to add to that long list of valuable insight with listeners so that, um, you know, regardless of where anyone's at right now with their, you know, desired role or kind of what level of seniority they're at, they can kind of take away some actionable insights into their career and, and, and going forward. So um, I guess a kind of really critical part of making your career successful and, and you know, securing a role is, is to kind of define what you want from it and, and to find what motivates you in, in your industry. So how do you think people can kind of plot out where they want to go uh, in their professional life? Yeah, so this is a great question because we're, we're sort of told from all different angles, from the media, mm -hmm. from people that, you know, from our parents, people we trust, professors, we're told to, to follow our passion or do what we love in most cases, or we're told to go do something that makes money. And mm -hmm. that's not a great answer either if it's not something that you are excited about. And so the problem is, what does that look like? All these people are pushing us to go find your passion or do this, that, and the other thing, but nobody really gives us the tools to explore and, and figure out what that is. You know, I remember when I was in college, I, I sort of thought there were 12 or so buckets that you could go into, you know, doctor, lawyer, accountant, finance, um, yeah. so on and so forth. And those are sort of the TV careers that we see. But there's so many different roles and opportunities out there that really, if you can think it up, it, it exists somewhere. And so that can that can be encouraging. It can also be overwhelming. But mm. my best advice to people is to get out there and take action. So passion is really the result of action and, and action is kind of you going out there and trying and exploring new things. You know, I, I don't know anybody who's kind of just jolted up in the middle of the night and said, hey, I was meant to you know, design amazing user experiences without mm -hmm. ever having designed a, a user experience before. It's just not the way that it works. Mm -hmm. And so unless you're willing to go out there and, and take action, um, you're probably just going to be stuck with that limited bucket and, and those limited resources. So mm. the, the path to passion, kind of the way that it evolves is you see something and you think, hey, I, that may be interesting. Let me try it. So mm. you kind of dip your toe in the water and you read up a little bit on it. Maybe you start taking some action, taking some courses. Um, maybe it, it, it starts to feel a little more natural. You're excited. And then eventually people start recognizing you for the work that you do. So, you know, mm. maybe... They come to you and say, Harry, I love your podcast. It's been great. You, you're a natural at it. You have a knack for it. And when you get that sort of positive feedback alongside of 
your own genuine interest in a subject, that's sort of the, where the magic happens. And so, you know, if you asked me six years ago what I was passionate about, I don't think career coaching or job searching would have even been on my radar. I, I would have told you mm. you were crazy if, if you told me that, you know, I'd be, I'd be saying that on this podcast today. Mm. But what really happened was, you know, I went through the whole thing myself and, and I actually enjoyed kind of breaking down the hiring process and figuring out what worked and what didn't. And then I got my job at Microsoft and people started asking me how I did it. And they took a lot out of the advice that I gave them. A lot of people were going out and implementing it themselves and landing their own jobs. And so now mm. I sort of had that combo of, well, I'd invested a lot into learning this and I enjoyed it, but now other people were benefiting from it too. And so the passion kind of stemmed from that. Mm. So the best thing that you can do right now in just a couple of simple steps is one, just start with something that you think is interesting. Um, you know, if, if you're excited about something or you think it's cool, um, start there, go find 10, 15 people who are already doing that. And if you can get more specific about the criteria than, than just cool, that that's great. But mm -hmm. go find those people, reach out to them and just talk to them a little bit about what, what it's like to be doing that thing. So ask them what they like about that role, what they don't like, you know, what they would change if they had a magic wand and could you know, add or subtract anything about it, what would it be? And mm. then finally ask if there's anybody else that, that you could talk to that they could introduce you to. And then once you get a sense of what's out there and what you like, you know, start dipping your toe in the water, start taking those courses, start reading those books, really give it 100% for 30 days. And at the end mm. of 30 days, you know, you have, if you don't like it, just quit and move on to the next thing. Like just stop doing what you're doing if you don't like it and move on to the next thing. But you have to give it a, a genuine effort. You have to give it 100%. Um, and if you rinse and repeat that formula, you're going to get through, you know, 12 or so uh, things throughout the year. And mm. that's really where the growth tends to come from. That's where that clarity tends to come from because you're actually going and doing the thing. Um, you can really see if it, if it is something that you're passionate about, if it is something that you like. Mm -hmm. And those, you know, 30 days of experimentation and trying to find out what you do like is, you know, nothing in comparison uh, in time frame to, you know, a potential 10 year career or something. So I absolutely mm -hmm. echo your, your kind of sentiments on that research front. Um, and I guess, you know, for people who have kind of gone out and maybe got a bit of an idea as to what they want to go into, they might have got a bit of research. I think one of the kind of really key stages of the, the pre-application or that, you know, pre-proper first step of actually reaching out to the recruiter um, is the kind of drafting of your CV and trying to get everything you've been doing down on paper. Um, I know you've talked a lot about kind of how to format resumes and, and, and bullet pointing, and there's always a bit of a debate as to how, you know, the perfect CV should be formatted. Um, I guess what are your kind of thoughts for people who are trying to take those first steps in preparing themselves before making that, that initial plunge of sending that application or sending that email? I think the best thing that you can do is really go deep on on the research. So mm. a trap that a lot of people fall into is they they go with the flow with the online applications. So mm. you know you you follow the steps. You upload your resume, your your CV. You upload your cover letter um, if they ask for one. You know you mm. put in some personal details and then you press submit because you know that's what the application asks for. But that's not necessarily the best way to go about it. And that's also not ne necessarily going to, to help you stand out. And so the, f the first and best thing you can do is get defined with the companies that you're looking for. You know, if you're mm -hmm. just kind of showing up and applying to 10 or 20 jobs every day, you're, you're really just spraying applications out there. And there's no way that you could be getting in the weeds with those companies and really understanding you know, why they're hiring for this role or what they're looking for. And so you sort of just end up being another generic applicant to them mm. and your chances of success are so, so low when that's the case. So rather than doing that, 
get really, really targeted with the roles and the companies that you want to end up at. And my recommendation is to focus on the company more so than the role, especially if you're looking to make a career change. But mm-hmm. um, companies, you know, roles come and go and roles are impacted by things like your manager and the day-to-day and the projects and all those things can change pretty quickly. But if you're at a great company that you really like, uh, there's always room to move around upward mobility and you're still going to be excited about it. So that's I, that's why I recommend focusing on the companies. But choose 10 to 15, find some open roles there that you're excited about, and then start doing some research. So mm-hmm. you know, reading through the company website is great. Reading through social media profiles also great. But outside of that, um, you know, go listen to their earnings call. If they're a publicly traded company, go find their earnings call and, and listen to that. Go listen to interviews with executives or uh, the marketing team or people who are kind of evangelizing the company and the brand, go find some podcasts, go look them up on YouTube, go listen to some keynotes that they've given. If they have an annual conference, you know, go listen to some talks from that conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on top of that, if you can go, go survey some of their customers. Um, a lot of these companies out there are, are B2C or, or, you know, their prospects or their customers are, are easy to get in touch with. And don't just stop there, you know, go survey customers from their competitors um, and from other companies in the space and see what insights come out of that. And that's going to give you a really, really solid understanding of where the company's at, what they're looking to do over the next six to 12 months, what goals they have, what challenges they're facing, and how the role that you're applying for might plug into that. And that's just going to make it so much easier for you to tailor your uh, your CV, tailor your cover letter, um, tailor your story to exactly what the company's looking for. And that's really what's going to boost your chances. So I'd start there. Um, and then the next thing that you absolutely have to do if you're applying online through through some sort of portal, their career site or whatever, mm-hmm. you need to make sure that your resume is optimized for the, the applicant tracking systems because those those are those are a killer. Um, mm-hmm. And essentially for people who don't know, when you press submit on your online application, there's a piece of software that scans your resume and it looks for specific keywords and experience and skills and things like that. And if your resume doesn't have them, even if you are qualified, your resume is going to kind of end up at the bottom of the pile simply because these companies get so many applications, they they need this software or they think they need this software to mm. uh, pick out the best ones. Um, but the problem is, you know, a lot of times most people don't know that that software is there. They don't know how to optimize for it. So we actually made a tool that made it super easy um, to help you get your resume in good shape. So if, if you go to resi, uh, R-E-S-Y match.io, so resimatch.io, you can mm-hmm. upload your resume on one side and you can upload the job description on the other and just hit scan. And it will show you pretty much everything that you need to update and add and change about your resume to, to get it in good shape. So mm-hmm. if you do those two things and you focus on, you optimize for the applicant tracking system and you also optimize for exactly what the company is looking for, you're going to be in a much, much better position than a lot of the other applications that are coming in. Mm. And I detected in your answer a little bit of, I guess, reservation when it came to how companies are currently using these kind of automated systems. <laughs> um, do you think there is a, you know, a way forward without them? You know, obviously job searching is a very kind of human process. And at the end of the day, you're, you're trying to find an employee who's going to fit in with that office, with that culture, with that company. Um, is there a way for companies to, you know, realistically um, filter through however many thousand of applicants they get and, and find someone without need for those kind of automated systems? Yeah, I, I guess it depends on, you know, how uh, deep into the fantasy world we, we want to get. But, you know, in, in my ideal world, so the two issues that I have are, um, you know, the, the one, the the system itself, the applicant tracking systems are just set mm-hmm. up so poorly. Uh, you know, I see every day on LinkedIn that, 
they don't read italics or they can't parse a PDF or, you know, Mm. if you use this kind of formatting, it's not going to read it. And that's mind boggling to me because I have a resume scanner that that can parse PDFs and read all those things. You're telling me Mm. that a a Fortune 500 multinational company can't. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I'm buying into that um, 100%. And, and even if if they do, then, you know, kind of shame on them because a lot of these companies still have the, they, they still have pages on their website that say, you know, people are our best asset, but then we're using a super outdated um, applicant tracking system to, to parse through those. And, and it's absolutely true. Some of these systems can't read those, those formatting uh, or that formatting or, or those little quirks in, in the different mm-hmm. documents. And so that's just a bummer there. But then the way that we're gauged, you know, on a resume or, or a cover letter or a CV, you know, a, a piece of paper is not really indicative of how well we can do the job. And mm. it's really focused on a lot of the stuff that, um, you know, it's, in many cases, we kind of want to avoid or, or don't necessarily, you know, want to focus on in the sense that I, I want to focus on at least if I'm a job seeker and, you know, being a salesperson, I want to focus on the company. I want to I want to tell the company, hey, I've done research on you. I know what, what I, I can bring to the table. I know what you're looking to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all this stuff on my resume stuff I've done in the past. But let me show you you know, what I can do for you now. So what I hear from a lot of these companies is that, you know, oh, we can't get rid of them um, because how else would we comb through all these applications? But then they also tell me that you know a ton of the applications are. Um, just people blindly applying and hoping something comes back. So mm. if, you, if you ask me to kind of do, do my magic wand wave and set up something completely different, I, I think that companies would be um, in much better shape if there was some sort of assessment that was d- not super time consuming to complete, but really gave good insight into the person's capabilities for the role. So, mm. you know, let's say you wanted... Um, uh, let's say a, a search engine optimization role, just random example. Um, maybe I, I would have a random web page that that pops up, or maybe I'd have a set of five, and I just serve it up to the the applicant, and I say, "Hey, you have 24 hours to go audit this page and tell me what you would change about it." Mm-hmm. And there, there are you know, with something like that, there are pretty specific outcomes that you'd be looking for, but. Now I'm, I'm going in and giving the, the candidate, you know, a chance to actually go prove themselves instead of just saying, oh, you're not qualified because you haven't done this on your resume in the past or whatever it is. Mm. And I think that's what I see time and again from candidates is they just want the chance to prove themselves. And also you weed out a lot of the people who aren't serious about the job if you force people to do even a little bit of work outside of just mm. the resume and the cover letter. So that'd probably be my answer. That's pretty high level. I think there were there are definitely some more things to consider with that. But um, I think there's absolutely a way and a better way to, to have people apply for these jobs and pick out the right candidates versus just having them being scanned by, by a piece of software that's in many cases you know, not, not as up to date and not as accurate as we'd like. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of follow that space in future. I mean, I think, you know, probably as a result of coronavirus, we're kind of starting to see the kind of fringe developments in that area. You know, people kind of completing virtual internships at home or firms deciding that they want video presentations alongside, mm-hmm. um, you know, a CV cover letter format. So I certainly think it's going to be really interesting. And more of those kind of skills based assessments, like you say, are going to slowly kind of creep into the application processes in future.
I guess we've talked a lot this episode about kind of the pre-application process um, and eventually this build up to the interview stage. Um, and, you know, just from my end with, with my audience, I get a lot of questions about this. Um, and I know that you kind of recently shared some great insights on LinkedIn when it came to the importance of preparation uh, for interviews. So um, I guess just as a brief question, how, how can a candidate kind of set themselves up for success at, at the interview stage? So it, it all comes down to, to preparation. 80% of your interview success is, is stemming from how well you prepared. And it's, it's kind of wild. I see so many candidates just not, not preparing adequately. And mm. I think they know that they have to prepare and people go out and they do the work, but they usually aren't very efficient about it. And they just kind of go do what everybody else is doing. So I mean, maybe I'll read a few news articles. You know, Maybe I'll go to the company website and look up their mission statement and, and read a couple of articles on there. And then I'll, I'll base my, my answers and my approach on that. But again, similar to what we mentioned before, um, just getting in deep and really understanding everything there is to know about the company, you know, at, at least as much as you can without being an employee there, but around, you know, where they're at is, is the company doing well or are they doing you know not so well and they need to kind of right the ship a little bit? What, what are their mm-hmm. goals for the next six to 12 months? What specific projects and initiatives are they rolling out to meet those goals um, to overcome some of those challenges? You know, what is it, what's their culture look like? What is their vision for the future look like? Understanding all those things, it, it's just going to make it so much easier for you to be successful. And uh, when we're thinking about the preparation, the best way to go and, and the way that I kind of recommend for a lot of the people that I work with is to, to do a lot of the work up front. So, Interviews mostly follow the same format. You're asked a lot mm-hmm. of the same questions, maybe you know different variations of the same questions or a similar set of questions. But if you go ahead and just prepare answers to those questions ahead of time, you can really set yourself up. So you know, if we think about the standard interview, you're probably going to be asked to, to talk about yourself a little bit. You're probably going to be asked, you know, why this role? Why do you want to work here? Um, mm-hmm. You're going to you're going to be asked for a couple of examples around. Maybe tell me about a time that you exhibited leadership or tell me about a time you worked with a difficult person or tell me about a time you overcame an obstacle. Yeah. All, all those kind of basic behavioral questions. Um, and then the other stuff, you know, tell me about your what's your greatest weakness or what's your biggest strength. Uh, tell me about a time you failed. So if we kind of consolidate some of those uh, maybe five to ten questions that are common across all the interviews and we just work to come up with examples and answers ahead of time we really put ourselves in a good position because you can essentially walk into most interviews with that information and, and be pretty well prepared without doing any other prep outside of, of what you've done already. And that's a great feeling. And then on top of that, you know, once you, once you've memorized those answers, you really kind of open up your mental headspace to, to strategize a little bit. So what I see is that people kind of think through their answers a little bit. Um, they kind of get the gist of what they want to say, but many times they, they walk into an interview and they're sort of making some of it up on the fly. So mm. you know, my, my personal recommendation is to sit down with those five to 10 questions. Just start with a brain dump, you know, throw all the information out there, stream of consciousness. Don't worry about editing or anything like that. Just, just dump it all out in a document, write it out. And then mm-hmm. every day for, for a week or two, come back and, and revisit a couple of the answers, you know, review them, edit them, revise them, and then rehearse them. And if you do that for a week or two, your answers are going to be in much, much better shape. One, mm-hmm. um, two, you're, you're going to be closer to memorizing them. Uh, and, and three, you know, wh- when you have them memorized and you have all these examples ready to go, they become habitual. So the great part there is 
it's sort of like going to the gym um, or, or going, you know, getting in shape. When you start, mm-hmm. you really have to drag yourself to the gym or, or out for that run. And it's you have to really think about it and prepare for it. But once it becomes part of your routine, um, you don't have to think about it anymore. You just kind of do it and your brain moves on to other things. And that's mm-hmm. that's the same principle here. So if you can memorize your answers to the point where they're habitual and, and, and you know, you can sort of deliver them, um, you know, no matter what else is going on, you open mm-hmm. up a lot of headspace to start thinking about, okay, how can I tailor these answers specifically for this company? Um, you know, wh- how's this interview going? What's their body language like? How are they reacting to what I'm saying? You know, what what's the next thing I want to bring up? What questions do I have? Like a lot of this mm-hmm. self-talk can be going on while you're delivering your answer be- because it's already ready to go. Mm-hmm. And so the best time to, to start preparing, honestly, is now. Because if you're in the job search, you know, the, the goal is to get an interview at some point. So the earlier mm-hmm. you start, the, the more prepared you'll be. And then the great news is when that interview rolls in, um, no matter what the turnaround time is, you know, if they call you up and they say, hey, Harry, we'd love to you know, get on the phone with you tomorrow. Now mm-hmm. you're not preparing from scratch in 24 hours. You know, you already have a really solid foundation. So you can you can now spend that 24 hours doing some deeper research on the company, um, understanding, you know, OK, I have this specific example that I've memorized, but how can I make it applicable to this company? And, and that's so much easier to do when you already have the example ready to go versus mm. creating everything from scratch. So mm. that's typically how I have people get set up. And, and you know, the, the best time to start truly is today. Mm. That's some fantastic insights there. And I guess, you know, we can't record a podcast in June of you know 2020 this year without talking about coronavirus and the impact it's going to have, um, you know, whatever topic you're talking about. Uh, is your kind of approach to that the same for video interviews and this kind of, you know, new emphasis we're seeing on, on kind of screening candidates digitally rather than in person? Yeah, definitely. So the, the preparation is, is exactly the same, um, but it, it does have an additional layer. So for video interviews, you know, the, the biggest thing, to be to be wary of and mindful of is the, the technology side of things and the setup mm. um, and then also how you're coming across so my recommendation and honestly this this could and probably should be part of your normal preparation anyways but I always encourage mm. people to, to record their answers so um, you know to fire up their webcam and shoot a video of them delivering the answer that they've rehearsed so that you can also tie in your body language and your delivery. Um, but even more so with video interviews, um, you're sort of killing two birds with one stone now because what you can do is get your your video interview set up ready to go and you mm-hmm. can test it out. So ideal world, um, you know, you, you, maybe you've, you've, if you have the funds, you've gone out and gotten a little bit of an upgraded microphone, a little bit of an upgraded webcam. Um, that stuff sounds cheesy, but you know, in, in the podcast world, I'm sure as you know, Harry, like the, the audio quality is pretty much the number one factor when it mm-hmm. comes to retention and listenership. Um, and I think there's there's been a couple of a couple of I don't know if studies is the right word, but there's definitely been some research out there on that. And then there's so much research out there on um, how you know the video quality, picture quality, image quality impacts you know the, the perceived value. And so if you show up and you have crystal clear video and you have crystal clear audio. Um, that, that just goes, you know, a long way for you and mm. you don't have to spend a ton of money doing it. You can get a decent mic and a decent camera for less than, you know, 30 bucks. And if the upside is, you know, a new job with a pretty significant salary raise, that's de- definitely a worthwhile investment, but mm. you want to get that stuff set up. Um, you want to test it out. You want to make sure it's working. Uh, a couple of other things I recommend are, you know, you want to be mindful of your background. So mm-hmm. you want to have something that's a little more neutral, um, and not too busy or distracting. You still want to get dressed up as if you were going to an in-person interview. Um, that mm-hmm. still counts. And 
you may do the, you know, business on top, sweatpants on the bottom look, but um, mm-hmm. you never know if you'll have to get up uh, or move around or whatever it is. You just don't want to be kind of caught with your pants down, so to speak. <laughs> I've heard so many horror stories about that, of people having mirrors behind them and not realizing all kinds <laughs> of things. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and then the, the lighting is key. So most people kind of don't realize this, but, you know, even if you you can go buy a a lighting kit for not that much, but you don't even have to do that. I mean, for the LinkedIn lives that I do and all the stuff that that I do, I just take a lamp from my bedroom and kind of stick it in front of the computer, um, Mm -hmm. right behind the computer, if you will. And and that tends to get the job done. But finally, the last thing is just elevating your, your laptop. So the camera is right at eye level. Um, you know, you don't want to be looking down into the camera and there's actually been some research that shows that if you look directly at, if not, um, up into the camera, uh, you're, perceived a bit differently and and in a more positive way than if you're looking straight down into the camera. And so that tends to go a long way. And then finally, um, I keep having one more tip, but finally, if you, uh, you, you basically want to set yourself up. So, uh, you're, you're moved back from the camera a little bit. Um, the biggest thing that we lose with video interviews is that body language and that ability to kind of gesticulate. And Mm. that really takes away from our answer. Um, I think that there's, there's a bunch of research out there that shows that most of our communication is nonverbal. Um, Mm. and I said, I think, cause I was trying to come up with the stat, but it's, it's a crazy amount. I think it's close to 90% or or 80% or something. Yeah. yeah, It seems like similar in that ballpark. And so you lose a lot of that if it's just your face in the camera. So what I like to do Mm. is, is just take a look at the frame, um, and position my chair so that I'm able to include my arms, uh, in, in the video and I can get some more of that body language. So I would be mindful of all those things. And then Mm -hmm. I would record your interview answers as if you were, on the live video and then I would just mm. go rewatch them and I would start with you know your delivery make sure that's all good but once your delivery is in good shape take a look at some of the technical stuff you know how does your audio sound what does the lighting look like you know is is does it look natural does it look bright um is is everything clear and in focus um are you kind of eye level is there anything going on in the background you know is the mirror back there um <laughs> if, if so get rid of it but you can see all this stuff essentially the same stuff that your interviewer is going to see you can see it ahead of time and so just making sure that that's in good shape and then testing it out a couple of hours before your interview is so key you just want to make sure that everything's working um you don't want to show up and realize that you know something isn't working and then it turns out like your mic was turned off but not on but you didn't realize it Mm -hmm. and then the whole thing got kind of botched because of it you just want to make sure everything's good to go so you don't have to worry about that and you can just focus on delivering your answers Mm. a great list of tips there and i think if i could squeeze in one more i think for me anyway and this probably wouldn't apply to everyone but um when i was doing my video interview it wasn't live it was kind of like a recorded Mm. answer to a set of questions and one of the things that i changed between my not successful video interview rounds and my successful ones was actually turning off my own feedback so doing all those things like you say getting set up and making sure the lighting and sound is in place um but i found that if i had a big picture of me kind of talking back at me when i was trying to answer i was i was more focused on that than i was what i was actually saying or you know, making eye contact with the webcam and so on. But um, no, a fantastic list there and a, a great checklist to work through if anyone's got a video interview coming up as well. And for the last part of this interview, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts more generally on just careers and kind of moving away from from the, the specifics of the application process um, for candidates. So um, obviously you kind of see you know, a wealth of buzzwords um, within this space, transferable skills kind of being one of them that's banded about a lot. Um, 
do you think there's a kind of list of skills that you know any candidate should have and demonstrate regardless of what profession they're entering into or their background or their seniority? That's a great question. I would I would say that less of a, a list of skills and more of uh, a list of actions for people to take. So mm-hmm. I think that something that we talked about earlier is the fact that most people feel like their their value is just not recognized on their resume. And mm-hmm. you know, for all the reasons we mentioned, it's really tough to get your value recognized, and especially if you're changing careers as well. So one of the best things you can do is just find simple ways to, to showcase your value. Um, you know, at the end of the day, companies want to hire the person who's going to bring the most value and the most ROI to the role. And mm-hmm. the, the problem is, They've just created this monster where they have focused on these funky things for such a long time that they've become accepted. And mm-hmm. now that's what they use to qualify people. So when I say funky things, you know, I'm talking about CVs, I'm talking about cover letters, I'm talking about mm-hmm. specific qualifications or buzzwords on a resume. You know, they're looking for these things as a way to qualify people. But what I always encourage job seekers to do is think about hiring as more of, of an equation than. Um, you know, a rigid set of qualifications that you have to check off. So we kind of mm-hmm. go back to, you know, algebra and, and, and school. But, you know, if, if there's an equation and you have to get to X, you know, there's usually many ways to get to X. It doesn't just have mm-hmm. to be a specific, you know, set of, of um, you know, numerals or whatever it is on, on the left hand side to get the X on the right. And so if X is the the value, because the, the hiring manager, whoever is, you know, in charge of making the decision, they have some sort of value in mind for this role. You know, they're hoping this person's mm-hmm. going to come in and do ABC things. Mm-hmm. And so if you start to, to think, okay, well, that's the value. And, and maybe for, for the sake of um, explaining it on a podcast, you know, maybe that's worth you know, 10 points in their mind. So they're looking for ways to, to or they're looking for candidates who, who demonstrate that they have 10 points. And Mm-hmm. All of the traditional stuff is easier for them, right? If that person has a degree in marketing and it's a marketing role, you know, maybe that degree is worth three points. Um, and if they have, you know, for every year of experience they have in marketing, maybe that's one point. But just because you don't have a degree in marketing or just because you don't have enough years of experience doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're, you're not qualified for the role. It just means that you need to show or you need to find another way to show three points worth of value or, you know, X points worth of value. And so the way to do this is really just to go out there and, and do it. So for, mm-hmm. for pretty much every job out there, there's a way to, to showcase your value. One of the big things I encourage people to do, which is much easier said than done, but just start documenting some of the things that you work on. And whether mm-hmm. it's a project at work or whether it's a project you're doing on the side or whether it's something you're learning um, just kind of keep a, a, a blog about it and work through, uh, I, I like to call them case study blog posts, but essentially it's, it's less important to, to highlight every step of the way as you're going through it. And more mm-hmm. so you should be going and doing the work. And then at the end, you should be looking back and then, you know, walking people through everything as it happened after the fact. And so mm. what this does is it gives people um, some insight into your thought process and how you solve problems and the specific steps you take. And so, for example, um, one of the people I was working with was, was in, in data science and, and they were making a, a career change into data science from a totally different field. So what we had them do was just start creating these projects. They did a fun, uh, really fun project where they basically scraped all these tweets about airlines and they 
use the information in the tweets to determine if the air or if the tweet was a positive tweet about the airline or a negative tweet yeah and they essentially did this like sentiment analysis and so they 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 basically did that whole thing and then they created a whole blog post walking through okay um you know here's where i started you know here's how i came up with the idea here's where i got the data here's where um you know here are the the frameworks and steps that i took and then here's the outcome and so mm. that really fleshes out, you know, exactly how you think about a problem that really fleshes out exactly, you know, what you did to, to come up with this answer. And it also shows that you're creative, you know, you're going and doing this on your own. And mm. whatever field you're in, you can you can do that. There are certain processes, there are certain results that people are looking for. So focusing in on on that and spending a little bit of extra time creating a portfolio for yourself is super, super mm. helpful because when you do apply, when you do come in for an interview, that's stuff that you can point to and you can say, look, you know, I know resumes can be kind of confusing. Um, if you want a better idea of the types of things that I bring to the table, how I think about stuff, you know, go read this case study where I did X, Y, Z, or go look at mm. this post where I talk about ABC. And it's so like none of us, there, there's a reason that instruction manuals and there's a reason that magazines and there's a reason that blog posts aren't written like resumes like the language Mm. is hard to understand and it doesn't always make a lot of sense so Mm. if you just bring the value to somebody in a way that they're used to seeing it it's going to be so much easier to convey your value um and you'll stand out because everybody else is still relying on on the cv on the weird language on all the traditional stuff and you're going Mm. above and beyond and finding a bit of a different way to showcase that Mm. I think what I love about that example you gave is just, you know, the, the, the number of different various skills and kind of abilities to be creative or to you know, get really technical with your writing to de- demonstrate your research, like you said. Um, I think it kind of brings together a really nice image as to what you're all about and, and gives a bit more of that kind of personal side to your application um, versus, I guess, the, the non-human side of the CV and resumes and things like we kind of mentioned earlier as well. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's only right um, to, to kind of finally talk about when things don't go according to plan. So hopefully people listening have, have put these tips into practice but you know i think it's only fair to say that there's there's no way you can ever guarantee 100 percent success rate whenever you're trying to, to to apply for things and sometimes luck isn't or isn't on your side um so i guess just on the kind of broader broader point of trying to overcome deal with and, and, and learn from rejection um how can people sort of best reflect on their previous experiences and, and take it with them forward to, to the next opportunity for sure so i'll share what worked for me which was which was really turning it into a game or, or an experiment and so mm-hmm. i think the first thing to understand is that it doesn't matter how many no's you get you you really just need one yes at, at a place mm-hmm. that you're excited about and so it's also important to, to set expectations and realize that the vast majority of things that you do are not going to work out and just understanding that from the get-go is you know it makes it a little little easier to swallow uh, doesn't doesn't make it great still but Mm. What we're looking to do, we're not looking to find something that has a 100% success rate. We're just looking to find things that have better success rates and, you know, hopefully mm. substantially better. But to mm. your point, Harry, nothing is going to be 100%. So for me, what I did was instead of worrying about the rejections, I baked them into my learning. And what I would do is I would just be, I would always be testing. And mm. I'm not necessarily recommending this for, for people um, listening because I, I went a little far with it, but I was applying to roles that I didn't really care about, but I was applying to them to, to just get some more data on the process. So I would mm-hmm. send in a resume that maybe had an objective at the top versus a resume that didn't, or I would send a resume that had you know this font color versus the other font color. And I would mm-hmm. just send them into all these different roles and I would see what would come back. 
And yeah. my goal was to understand, okay, what, what aspects of the resume work, what aspects don't, um, what combinations work. And so through that, you know, obviously there were rejections that were harder to take than others. You know, if I'm applying to a job, I don't really care about that rejection isn't, isn't as bad, but what I, what I did was just collect that data. And then I would try to understand why it didn't work. And I would say, okay, it's sort of like, you know, the, the cliche Edison quote at this point, but you know, I, I, I didn't fail, you know, a thousand times. I found a thousand mm. ways to, you know, not make a light bulb or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty similar approach here. So I wouldn't take it personally. Um, you know, a lot of times in the job search, it, it's not a personal thing. It's more of a business thing. Uh, but then on top of that, you know, I would also say that if there is a role that you really, really want, I have, I have a rule that I've sort of come up with for myself and it stemmed out of my job search, but I basically told myself I, I would never settle for a single no. Like you would have to tell mm. me no twice before I walked away. And so if I applied to a company that I really, really wanted to work for and I got a rejection, uh, I would try to find another way to get in the door. And if I got on a phone screen with a company that I really, really wanted to work for uh, and they told me no, I would try to find a way to come back and, and convince them otherwise and so on and so mm. forth. And so a good example of this, I was... I was interviewing at Google and um, the first phone screen I had with the recruiter, she we ended it and she said, you know, sorry, you just don't have enough experience. It's not what we're, we're looking for, or blah, blah, blah. And so yeah. I sent her an email back and I, I basically said, you know, look, I understand where you're coming from. And I know there isn't a lot of on paper experience on my on my resume, but that isn't because of a lack of ability to do the job. It's just a lack of opportunity to do it. So here are all the things yeah. that I've done to prepare for this role. Uh, and you know, here are all the things that I believe that I'm capable of doing. All I'm asking for is a seat, you know, at the table and in, in, you know, at, at the interview table. And if the hiring manager doesn't like me, totally fine. I won't bug you again. But she mm -hmm. ended up pushing me through to the next round simply because I just came back and said, you know, I, I, I disagree. You know, I think, I think, I think I do bring mm -hmm. something to the table here and I just like a chance to, to prove it. And that's not always going to work, but you know, if she had said no again, I, I probably would have, you know, I would have reapplied to Google later, but I wouldn't have, you know, kept pushing. But because I didn't stop at that first no, I was able to get through to the next round. And so I think a lot of people miss opportunities because they just, they, they go through the process once they get the no or they don't hear back and they say, okay, well, that's it, you know, on to the next one. Mm. So I think that that's really important as well. Oh, fantastic. And I think what's amazing is what you're doing now is you've taken all of these kind of life lessons of, of going through those rejections and kind of trying out all those different CVs and resume uh, sort of templates and kind of really kind of being able to generate that into really actionable insights and um, a lot of which you shared today so, so thanks for coming on where can people go to learn more about what we've talked about and to, to kind of connect with all your content yeah well I really appreciate you having me Harry um, so that the best two places are uh, the website so cultivatedculture.com if, if you're on mm -hmm. the homepage and you scroll down slightly there's we have a bunch of free tools on the site resume builder resume scanner uh, mm -hmm. re resume bullet analyzer an email lookup tool we have a bunch of stuff on there and it's all free so um, that's great to check out and then LinkedIn um, I'm posting and I'm active on there pretty much every day so feel free to to follow along or connect with me if you do connect just send a personalized note and let me know that you know you heard the podcast and I'll, I'll be sure to accept but those two places are, are where I spend most of my time and uh, I'm looking forward to, to connecting with everybody who's listening. Awesome. And hopefully push you over that quarter of a million followers as well. It's been an exciting <laughs> milestone, I'm sure. Any any planned celebrations, anything like that? No, no, not really. Um, you know, fo followers are, are, are good, but it's more mm -hmm. so about, um, you know, who's showing up and engaging and, and who's actually mm -hmm. taking action on the stuff. So 
that's that's the main focus for me and i do my best to you know look through all the connection requests and all the messages as well so um no, no plans to celebrate yeah i think i think one million would be the the moment where we, we kind of <laughs> open a bottle of champagne or something but that's i think that's a, a couple at least a couple months off i'll be i'll be optimistic yeah, we'll see. I'll keep checking in and see when you get there. But um, no, I appreciate you filtering through those collection requests, like you say, accepting mine and, and putting together this this really useful resource today. So thanks again, Austin. I really appreciate speaking to you. You got it, Harry. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the More From Law podcast. The amount of support the show has received recently has been unbelievable. So thanks again for playing your part in that by listening. If you'd like to support the show, please rate it five stars on the iTunes store and follow the show on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps the show reach more listeners. If you're looking for more tips, resources, and guides, you can visit my website, www.harryclarklaw.com, where you can also sign up to my newsletter and stay up to date with everything that I'm up to. For now, though, I'll see you in the next episode of More From Law.